so today we are talking about the kind of church that God wants. And what is the kind of church that God wants? Well, before we open the Bible and we study this, uh, let's pray and ask God's direction. We thank you, Lord, that you made it possible for us to be here this morning. I want to thank you because we enjoy freedom, freedom to worship you. We enjoy, Lord, freedom to read your word, to study the Bible, and freedom to congregate. We thank you for this precious gift that we still have here in this country. And we pray, Lord, that this, these moments that we are going to spend here together, that your Holy Spirit may be in our midst, that we may be guided through the study of your word, that as we open up scripture, the same Holy Spirit who assisted the, the Bible authors, the Holy Spirit may also help us here now. I ask, Lord, that everything I say may be used by you and may represent your message for us this morning. May I not share my own ideas, but help me, Lord, to be your instrument here. And open our hearts and minds to get this message. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. The, the passage today is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 36. And as we start here, I'd like also to welcome our visitors uh, anyone who is visiting us here, uh, and also those who have moved to the area here recently. The summer always brings uh, people, and it's a good thing. People move uh, around summertime, and we're glad to receive and to welcome you here. This uh, text made me think of something. Actually, if you look at the sermon title, it is, What is the Kind of Church? God wants. Isn't that right? I'm not looking at the bulletin. I think that's what's written there, right? What is the kind of church God wants? You probably remember a very, very popular, probably know a very popular TV show that uh, there are three contestants. I won't say the name of it, but you probably remember that. There are three contestants. And instead of being asked questions, they are presented with answers. And so the answers come in what they call a clue. And so they are presented with the clues and they're supposed to come up with the answer, which is actually in the form of a question. And so to the clue that they see on the screen, they have to ask something like, what is or uh, who is something, right? And this is a very popular show that actually for the past 20 years or so, it's been hosted by a Canadian. And so uh, I was thinking of something that maybe I could come up with a clue for the title of the sermon. But I realized that for this one question, for this one answer in the form of a question, what is the kind of church God wants? There could be more than one answer, more than one clue, which would be right. And so I decided to start with a question. What is the kind of church God wants? Brother Knight was talking here about not procrastinating. And uh, every one of us, maybe at one point or another, we must confess that. Maybe we have left to study at the last minute. And then the night before, we were cramming, studying all we could for the exam the next day. Now, this passage here in the Bible, it is like God is giving us the questions He's going to ask us when the exam comes. Because God presents us with the questions 
that he was going to ask those who were there the day Jesus comes. And some will be put to his right and some to his left. And to the ones in, in his right, he will, he will say, you've done well. To the others on the left, he will say, you have, you have missed the mark. You have wasted all opportunities. And so we have a golden opportunity of looking at the Bible and seeing the questions. And seeing what, what are the topics. What are the topics that will be in the final exam? And so as we know what the topics will be, what the questions will be, we'll not leave it up to the last minute to prepare. We are called to prepare right now. To be in the state of preparation in anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ. Because He will come, won't He? The Bible says, and I believe it, Jesus is coming. And as we prepare for His coming, for this glorious day... Or something which is the major, the most uh, spectacular uh, event in human history. The coming, the second coming of Jesus. As we look forward to that, we prepare according to what he asks us to do. The context to which this text appears in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 25. Actually, if you have a Bible that has the words of Jesus in red, like this one we'll see that most of chapter 25, uh, all of chapter 25 is in red letters. And you see the chapter 24 likewise. Most of chapter 24 is in red. Why? Because Jesus was in the temple with the disciples. And as they were walking out, the Bible says that the disciples called Jesus and said, Look at the temple. Look at this magnificent structure. Look at the stones, look at the, uh, the architecture, everything is so beautiful, everything is so uh, majestic. And Jesus turns to them and says, well, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that not one stone will be left upon the other. Jesus was prophesying about the destruction of the temple. And the disciples were baffled by that. And then the Bible says that they went out to the Mount of Olives. And there in a private meeting between Jesus and his disciples, he starts to explain what he meant when he said that. There is good indication, there is good reason for us to believe that this meeting on the Mount of Olives was not for all followers of Jesus. There were only four of them. Actually, if you would open your Bibles to the next book of the Bible, the book of Mark, in chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. Once you get there you can say amen. And I'll wait for you until we all get there. Or if you don't get there it's on the screen there. But I hope you can get there. Mark 13 verses 1 to 3. The Bible says then as he went out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him teacher. See what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another. That shall not be thrown down. That shall not be thrown down. Now, verse 3 now. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, and so they ask the same questions we find here in Matthew 24. 
And so the Bible says that those four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they came privately to Jesus and asked him uh, those questions. And so you see that chapter 24 is Jesus answering the questions, uh, the question that the disciples asked. In all of chapter 24, and then he goes on into chapter 25, explaining to the disciples about the imminent destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple. And then he goes on to talk about his second coming. And he gives the disciples signs of his coming. And he guarantees them that those signs would, would come to pass. And that Jesus would eventually, eventually come in a cloud in the sky. And then after that he talks about how we should prepare for that in chapter 25. He starts by telling the, the parable of the virgins. And then he goes on and talks about and tells them the parables of the talents. And finally he comes to this illustration of the sheep and the goats. Now notice that Jesus explains to them that when the Son of Man comes in the clouds, when he himself would, would be coming in the clouds, the nations would be gathered before him. So let's look at verses 31 to 33 again in chapter 25. Matthew 25. We're going back now to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 33. And the Bible says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And so the Bible is saying that the nations will be gathered before Jesus, and He will separate them as a shepherd separate the she separates the sheep from the goats. But notice that the focus is not so much on the separation. The focus is on how it will be done. The focus is on the process. There will be a separation just like a shepherd does between his sheep and the goats. And my Bible, this version of the Bible actually says that the shepherd will separate his, his sheep from the goats. This Bible, the Bible doesn't say that he will separate his sheep from his goats, but his sheep from the goats. So the shepherd know who his sheep are. He knows them very well, and the sheep know who the shepherd is. But listen that the Bible is not saying that the nations will be divided. Actually, the nations are divided now, aren't they? They are already. Jesus, in, in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 24, in verse 7, Jesus says that nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. So right now, the nations are divided. You cannot cross the border without holding your passport on you. You cannot travel to a foreign country. For most countries, you cannot travel without, without having a visa. And you see wars and rumors of wars. And you see nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So the separation that the Bible is talking about here in verse 31. When Jesus comes, it's not a separation that is causing one nation to war against the other. It is a separation. It is a distinction based at the individual level. 
Because the shepherd then, it is like a shepherd that separates the sheep from the goats. There are so many nations around the world, but the Bible is talking about two categories of people here. So this separation is based on the individual decisions, on the individual life that every person has lived here on earth. And so the work of dividing the sheep by the shepherd is based on a distinction that the shepherd is, is, is able to make. My question is, can you tell a sheep from a goat? Can you, honestly? I don't think it's too difficult, is it? Maybe, maybe, if you're talking about a lamb and a kid, right? Maybe they may look similar when they're really, really young. But pretty soon you see some differences showing up. Uh, one has fur, the other has wool. Uh, one very soon, particularly, I mean, if it's a male, you see the horns coming out. And so you can tell the differences very easily. But uh, I don't think it would be difficult then to the shepherd to tell the sheep from the goats. But the thing is, at the individual level, what makes a difference is whether or not you're a sheep, right? And so you cannot impersonate a sheep when Jesus comes, if you, are, if you are a goat, you can no longer impersonate. You can no longer deceive anyone. And so the Bible is calling us to be sheep now. So that when the Lord comes, and I don't know when the Lord is coming. He may come tomorrow, but He may come in 10 years or He may come in 3 months. When the Lord comes, whenever it is, I will be counted as sheep and not as goat. And so there is no uh, deceiving. There is no pretense. You are either a sheep or you are a goat when Jesus comes. And then, if you want to be counted be among the sheep, you must be sheep. And I should say this. Only sheep can beget what? Sheep. You never see a goat giving birth to a sheep. You only see a true Christian giving birth to other Christians. If you want to see people coming into the kingdom, you must have this personal commitment to be a true Christian so that you'll be able to witness to other people and they will be interested in knowing what is it about being a Christian and living a Christian life. And then you'll be able to beget other sheep, other Christians. But going on here in verses 34 to 36, here are the answers you're looking for. Here are the clues you're looking for. Verses 34 to 36. After having separated them, uh, the sheep to the right hand, to his right hand, and the goats to his left hand. In verse 34, the Bible says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to and you came to me. You came to see me. And so as we read this, we may have we may have the temptation to spiritualize all of that. And I'll tell you, spiritualizing all we read here is not wrong. 
So let's go back again, 34, 35. I was hungry, and you gave me food. And then you can think, well, there are many people hungry for the word of God. And so we go out, and we may stand on the, the corner of the public squares, and we preach, and we preach, and we give them the word. And so they will be fed. Well, that's not wrong. This is not unbiblical. It is biblical. And we can go on and read here, I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And we may say, yes, there are people who are hungry and thirsty for justice. And so we go and we preach the word to them, and we show them the righteousness of Christ, His justice, and they will be fed, they will be satisfied. Then we go on here to verse, at the end of verse 35, and the Bible says, I was a stranger, and you took me in. And people come to the church for the first time as visitors. And we make sure that they are greeted well. We make sure that they feel uh, comfortable. They feel at home here. And you are taking the strangers into the church. That's not wrong. There is nothing wrong with that. And then we go to verse 36. And the Bible says, I was naked. And you clothed me. And so, and we go forward and you say, I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And we can spiritualize all these things. We may spiritualize saying that people need to have the righteousness of Christ. They need to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We may spiritualize saying that people are sick because they have guilt. And they need to be freed from that. And we preach them the gospel that Jesus died for their sins. And we also can spiritualize that people were in prison. They, are being, they have been arrested by their own thoughts. They are imprisoned by their own guilt. They are imprisoned by things that they did in the past that they cannot forgive themselves of. All of that is biblical. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus himself said, quoting a prophecy from Isaiah, he says that he was sent to heal the brokenhearted. He was sent to set the captive free but the bible also shows that jesus came to heal to restore the sight of the blind he came to make those who were impaired who could not walk make them walk again and so jesus was a practical teacher jesus was not only talking about spiritual things spiritualizing things rather but he was talking about a practical gospel he was talking about actually feeding people with food, with physical food. He was talking about giving drink to those who were literally physically thirsty. He was talking about taking people in if they have no place to go. He was talking about going to prisons to visit people. He was talking about going to those who, cannot, who, cannot, uh, who are shut in so you can minister to them as well. Jesus was talking about being practical in the gospel. He was talking about living out the essence of the gospel. This is also biblical. And if we are going to be among the sheep when Jesus comes, if we are going to be counted among, among the sheep, we need to live this practical gospel as Jesus lived. And there may be that it could be that a, a radical change may be needed. Because being Christian, having a Christian life is not about getting busy. Getting busy with doing things. And as you do things, you try to weave Jesus into the things you do. No. 
That's not what being a Christian, a true Christian is about. The true Christian, Christian experience is about being changed from the inside out. It's about having the right motivations and acting upon those right motivations. I read here from uh, Ellen White. Ellen White was one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And someone I consider had a personal close walk with Jesus, with the Lord. And wrote, uh, inspired, uh, inspired from that uh, walk, personal walk and close walk she had with the Lord. And she says that Jesus' followers are not to feel themselves detached from the perishing world around them. They are a part of the great web of humanity. And heaven looks upon them as brothers to sinners as well as to saints. Hmm. So I'm not only a brother of the saints, I'm also a brother to sinners. The fallen, the erring, and the sinful, Christ's love embraces. And every deed of kindness done to uplift a fallen soul... Every act of mercy is accepted as done to Him. Amen. Amen. So Jesus gave His precious life to establish a church that would be capable of caring for the sorrowful. A church that would be capable and willing to care for tempted souls. But it is because this work is neglected it is because sometimes we are so busy taking care of ourselves that we do not grow in our, uh, in our Christian experience. Because I tell you, if we were to take more time in our agenda, more time of self-care, and we would dedicate some of that time caring for others, our problems would then seem so dim compared to the other problems we see around us. I'm not minimizing whatever you may be going through. I've been, go, I've been through a lot in my life as well. But every time I've chosen to help someone, every time I've chosen to do for others what Jesus has done for me, or to do for others that which Jesus would have done for them if you were here next to me, every time I've chosen to do that, I've felt lighter. I felt my burdens go away because I've been employing time and energy being Christ-like toward others. So if, if our church is going to be counted among the sheep, if our church, if we as individuals are going to be ready when Jesus comes, we need to be like the clues we get here in these answers, in this, in, in this text we need to be helping the poor. We need to be helping the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the sick, those who are in prison, those who are naked. We need to go and help people when it may require sacrifice. I tell you rather, it will require sacrifice. But when the church comes to the point where we love without measure, where the church comes to the point where we are more interested in someone who is next to us as an individual rather than a, 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 a fish that would be baited. When you are more interested in people like Jesus was 
because they are precious in his sight, because they have been created by him. They've come from the hands of the creator as much as you and I have. When we develop the true interest, when the church comes to that point, then the words of Jesus will be realized when he said by this, the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. I'll repeat it because many people may not remember that, but now our minds have been refreshed. By this, the world we know that will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. When Jesus was going back to heaven, after his resurrection, he spent some time here on earth with the disciples, and then he went back to heaven. And uh, on the way up, the Bible says that he was taken up in the clouds. And though that cloud, we understand, that cloud was a cloud of angels. Angels were up there somewhere in the sky waiting for Jesus to join them to escort him into heaven. But you remember that there were two angels that were here on earth, right? As the disciples were gazing up to the heavens, seeing Jesus uh, uh, go away from their sight, those two angels came down and said, Why are you gazing up to heaven? In this, uh, with that expression, the same Jesus who went up will come back in like manner. Would you think that those two angels, would you think that those two angels would not rather be in the company of Jesus already along with the other two angels? But it was required of them, sheep as they were, that they would stay here. They would stay here hovering around and telling the disciples not to be discouraged. And so it may take sacrifice on your part. It may take sacrifice on my part. That sometimes a ball of cricket, a game of cricket may be going on. But you are required to help the needy. You are required to live out the gospel. And we'll do that because we are sheep. We live in a world where people do not want to be told what to do, right? We all have been teenagers. I'm saying we live in a world where people do not want to be told what to do. Maybe it has been like that for since Adam and Eve fell, right? Uh, maybe I can only speak of our generation because this is the time we're living. But I've been a teenager, teenager and I've, I've procrastinated. And I've left things to, to, for later. And I've not always obeyed my parents. But if we want to be counted among the sheep, then we must become sheep. We must allow Jesus to work this from the inside out. And I must be obedient. I must be willing to submit myself to the Lord's will. And I must be willing to submit myself and to do exactly what Jesus would do. There is a... There is a, a a dear, dear, dear sister in this church. He's a member of this, she's a member of this church. She's not here today because after a couple of strokes, she's in a nursing home. So please follow me. Don't misunderstand me. Follow me uh, in what I'm going to say here. Because of the strokes, at this point, she cannot talk. Okay, at least she was not talking before I, I went on, uh, on holidays. Uh, but we've been praying, and we pray for the day when she'll be able to talk again. But she cannot talk. But if you go there, and you go visit her in that nursing home, 
the first thing she'll do when she recognizes you, she'll extend her hand to you. And she'll grab your hand. And she will not let go of your hand. Because the only arm she can move, she will do that because she appreciates your presence there. And she will hang on to your hand and hold it tight all the time. And even if, if, if the time, your time is up and you need to go, you have a hard time removing your hand from hers. And she cannot think, she cannot speak at this point. There was one day I was seeing her there and I had the clear impression, I had the clear conviction that she was going to speak right then and, and, and there. But it didn't happen. But please follow me, listen to what I'm going to say. If you, if you are able to visit her, and you go in there, and you visit her every week, at least one day a week, and you keep doing that for as long as you can, if the Lord, if, if, if she doesn't go back to talking, no one will ever know that you were there. Because she'll never witness to anybody that you were there. She's not able to. So you have two choices. You may never go there because nobody will ever know that you didn't go. Or you may go and you may spend time with her and nobody will know either. And so that kind of sacrifice, that kind of ministry, that kind of uh, selfishness, this is what the sheep that the shepherd has set aside to his right hand have demonstrated through life. It is doing ministry where there is no glamour perhaps. There is no human glory attached to it. But the Lord is seen and the person is being blessed. And more people are being saved into the kingdom because of your witness, because of your testimony. Does that make sense? I hope all I'm saying here becomes no longer valid today. And that Sister Blue will be able to talk again. But in the meantime, there is a ministry that the Lord may be calling you to do that will not have any publicity, will not have any glamour attached to it. Yet, it is the work of the Lord. So what I'm talking about here may sound like social gospel. So pastor, are you preaching <clears throat> social gospel? We should be only interested now in solving people's social problems, financial problems. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is talking about preparing for the coming of the Lord. The Bible is attaching this behavior. The Bible is attaching this Christian life to the coming of Jesus itself. Because then it will be revealed those who have been sheep of the shepherd, of the true and great shepherd. And those who may be on the pretense, acting on the pretense of being sheep, have been nothing other than nothing else than goats. So the choice is ours. So the choice is ours. And I go back to the original question. What is the kind of church God wants? I think the Bible makes it very clear. For one, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. <clears throat> Jesus was talking to Peter. 
And Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter. And Jesus uh, does, uh, makes a play of words here. Because the name Peter means rock. And so Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter. You are rock. And on this rock, on this rock, on Jesus, the rock of ages, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, shall not prevail against it. So for one, the church that God is looking for, the church that God wants, is a church that's based on Jesus Christ, on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of the church. But also it is a church that's made of sheep because he is the good shepherd. And so my appeal to us today, to you and me and all of us, is that we may be willing to prepare, to be prepared for the coming of Jesus by becoming more and more like him. By allowing him to change us from the inside out. By doing for others that which Jesus would have done if he were here. And while doing that, we'll have joy in our lives because our problems will seem dim. Our problems will seem, seem so small compared to so much need there is out there that we can help with. And as we do that, we'll learn to be sheep. We'll learn to not look to ourselves only, but to help others and to take care of others. And help them also be prepared for the coming of Jesus. As they get to know the Savior, you and I have come to know the Savior that has produced change in our lives. If you and I look back to our lives, to any point of our lives, even to yesterday, we are, we are better today than we were yesterday. Not because of our, own, of our own, but because Jesus is daily, constantly working this change from the inside out. And may the Lord help us. May we be faithful and be willing to submit to Him as sheep of his sheep of his fold. God bless us all.